Hello and welcome to the GBC Mission Podcast where we have a conversation about faith and where God is at work in the world. My name is Jodine and I'm one of the associate pastors here at the GBC Faith Community. And through this video and audio podcast, I'll be chatting with the Baptist World Aid Australia team and their continuing work and partnership supporting Syrian refugees in Lebanon. The Syrian civil war is a humanitarian crisis that affects 13 million people. We've already supported this project for four years and due to the ongoing severity of this crisis, we're committing to a three-year partnership. With over 70% of Syrian refugees living below the poverty line, we're supporting the distribution of urgently needed items to 20,000 people that are a means of survival during the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as resources to survive the harsh winter months. To address the root causes of extreme poverty, we're also supporting programs that will enable 3,000 marginalised people to access public services, receive education and access to vocational training and support systems. Joining us today is the Church Relationship Manager for New South Wales and ACT, Marwan Diaz, and the CEO for Baptist World Aid, John Hickey. Well, Marbs and John, thank you so much for joining us today. First question I've got for for you both um, is, we see God's mission as the restoration and renewal of all things in Jesus. How does this project contribute to that? I think that's a brilliant way of putting it, the renewal of all things in Jesus, um, because I think it captures what we are trying to do. Uh, it, it captures the embodiment of what true love is um, from, from the way we see it in the, way, in the life of Jesus, uh, in the way he embodies it, in the way he models it, and in terms of discipleship, how he asks people to be a part of it as well. Um, and in the, Holy, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to do that. So I think in, in, with the projects that we're doing, the projects that you're being a part of, um, it's, it's such a great embodiment of Jesus' love through just the uh, sheer brilliance of being God with us. You know, that's in Jesus' name, Emmanuel with us. So it's real. He is with them. So we, in some sense, we are standing uh, with, with our partners overseas. But together, we're actually both standing with Jesus, with standing with the poor. We're standing with the refugees, we're standing with the marginalized people. Um, so, yeah, I think firstly, it's standing with people. We are with them as Jesus is with them. And I think that secondly, it empowers our um, brothers and sisters who are there doing the work um, as they stand uh, with the refugees. Uh, it's, it's hard places. And so I think it shows the unconditional love that Jesus shows us, um, this unconditional uh, and faithful love. Uh, that no matter what happens, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how dark it may be or hopeless it may be, uh, Jesus is still there. Our partners are still there. We're still going to be joining them and supporting them through that. And finally, I think um, one of the key things during this time in COVID-19 is that um, what, it, what it shows in terms of renewal of, of, of all things through Jesus, even though COVID-19 is hitting us and it's setting about this sense of hopelessness, not just here in Australia, as we know, it's it's a global pandemic. Um, so as it kind of sets in hopelessness and then a deeper sense of hopelessness, it shows that God's love or Jesus' love is actually quite resilient. It will push through um, those barriers where people will or some organizations might stop. Um, God's love and, and the way uh, and the people of God pushes through all those things. And so uh, that's the way I see it, that God is um, Jesus renewer in, in himself in all things is that it's real, it's faithful, and it's quite resilient. 
So we uh, had the fortune, all three of us, all of us together, to travel mm. with a Baptist World Aid trip last year to actually go to Lebanon and see this project in action. And obviously the situation is dire beyond belief, but also the hope and the capacity and the complexity of how churches and partners on the ground responding is just uh, incredible. How's the COVID-19 situation impacting this project? But also how does it also bring hope? Yeah. I, I think, and John can speak into this a little bit more, but there's there's a significant thing that we've done. Um, in t- instead of just kind of stopping, closing shop, uh, we've really um, pivoted everything towards a humanitarian shift. Can you, can you speak into that a little bit, John? Yes, Marbs. Our, our commitment to our partner in Lebanon, Marath, and then uh, Syrian refugees uh, and other refugees in Lebanon has not changed. But the reality is how we work together is changed right now for the time being because we know that the the existential risk to everybody, uh, particularly in refugee scenarios where people can't socially distance, as, as you know, Jodine, you know, we, we were looking at people in very, very uh, busy, slum, urban spaces. There's not, there's not room for social distancing. The risks uh, around the lack of hygiene, the lack of health facilities and uh, the fact that uh, vulnerable people are going to be more vulnerable than ever really compels us as an organisation ourselves to work with our partner in Lebanon to really try and preserve and help those groups to get through and get out the other side as well as possible and continue our long-term work together. So that's why we've really said... Yeah, the story is around um, protecting and supporting and educating and helping people through this big crisis now, this pandemic, and then keep going from there. Yeah, it's incredible how we feel it. We're all rushing to the uh, shops to buy toilet paper, whereas people in scenarios like in Syria and Lebanon don't have houses, don't have food, don't even have toilets, let alone toilet paper. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the issue just compounds, obviously. Yeah, I I was talking to uh, another CEO of a very large international Christian NGO uh, last week, and uh, he actually said that the biggest risk uh, right now is not the pandemic, it's people starving because mm. uh, they, they can't go out and earn income because, you know, governments, mm. countries are putting lockdowns. That's the same in Lebanon. People, if they don't find a way to work or, or get some money, uh, they don't feed themselves or their families. So we have to think very creatively in this time about it's not just the pandemic, it's all the things that shoot off from the threat of this pandemic that put these people at risk and how yeah. we try to work with uh, Marath to, to, to deal with this over there. And I guess that's the good thing is that we've got strong partners on the ground that can pivot and be agile to change depending on the changing situation, which no one planned for this, you know, this year. No, and uh, and and once again, the quality of the Marath leadership team has just shone in this. You know, a lot of our partners around the globe, you know, we've really had to take a leadership encouragement role with them to try and help them think about how they survive, but actually how they make a difference in their context. We didn't have to say that to Marath. They were already on to it. <laughs> uh, and, and uh, you know, we've we've found that they've really taken leadership and we're trying to fall in with them and help them out in that way. 
Yeah, and I think that's one of the great things that this project, whilst it has uh, specific aims and objectives, uh, it's not rigid in the sense that it can only do one thing, that it can flex and change as the situation changes. Totally. So, uh, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, and, yeah. and the ability with, you know, organisations like Tahiti that work in there that you guys are going to connect through in this partnership, it remains absolutely as relevant what the medium and long-term goals are uh, there as what we can do with those communities in the short term as well. So I'd really encourage people to have a listen to the podcast that we produced last yeah. year as a result of our trip, and obviously you guys are a part of that. Can mm. I ask you, I guess, why does this project matter for maybe someone who is watching today and joining us online why is this project unique and why does it matter marps i'll start with you yeah well i i think as john was alluding to um one of the areas is is, is hunger and, and poverty and actually i was just reading this morning uh, i don't know if you've heard there's some riots uh, that happened yesterday um and was continuing today and so people are being prayerful about that and the reason for that is was because of the lockdown, the two-month lockdown, there has actually been an increase in people starving. Uh, and and actually, before COVID-19, um, it was projected, World Bank projected that it was 45% will be on the poverty line, 73% um, for refugees. But since COVID-19, it's escalated to now around 75% will be on the poverty line in Lebanon and around 90% for the refugees. So the it's just escalated to a dramatic um uh and and deep level that we were just trying to we know that that's that's why this project is important um that our, our partners will continue to be there uh, as we've mentioned they continue to be resilient and as john has mentioned um the leadership are really organizing uh, so that they are culturally appropriate as well in terms of their response we can't just adopt a western kind of paradigm in how to um address COVID-19, they have to think through culturally, how can we do this well? And so that's why this, um, the support for this project is, has uh, even uh, increased even more from before. And John? Well, I, I don't know about you guys, but when we were there last July, what really struck me was how, oh, how unstable the country is, how easy it could go backwards, uh, particularly under the stress of uh upwards of 2 million refugees, most of whom are Syrians there, um, trying to eke out survival, and and the long history of enmity between Syrians and Lebanese and and the excitement of seeing churches, local churches, are showing love uh, to, to these people uh, that probably would have been considered natural enemies in many ways. Uh, and, of course, sadly, since then, we've, we've seen Lebanon really descend into... A terrible situation. The whole political and economic framework that was very, very, very fragile has split apart. So it is it is a place of hugely complex challenges. But in that, I think the local church has shone a light uh, of hope and is continuing to do so right now. I actually am so impressed with what Marath and the local churches even now. You know, we we you know we applaud frontline medical workers right now here in Australia as are people in other countries for the risks that they are taking for the sake of people uh, who are you know sick and dying in this pandemic. Well, in many ways, the church and Marath are looking to be frontline workers to still support and help their countrymen, but also these refugees in the most difficult of times. Um, 
I just, you know, I just think about that that sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrated to us and, you know, showed over Easter. This is how these people are living their lives to support others there right now. It's it's just dramatic to see what is going on. It's humbling. So uh, what's your organisation's um, theological approach to developing projects and how do you uh, empower beneficiaries through them? And we ask this question because obviously Baptist World Aid does a lot of complex work and we want to start to give people an insight into how that looks, but not only from, I guess, from a practical point of view, but... Um, I guess, from a faith-based and a, a values point of view as well. Okay, I'll, I'll start. I, I mean, it, for, for us, it's one of the things that we do. Is not only are we a, a Christian organization, but we partner, uh, we partner with Christian organizations, um, brothers and sisters, and particularly uh, the ones that we partner with in Lebanon, um, a lot of them are churches, um, churches like yourself, uh, who are trying to be as faithful as possible in a, in a pretty um, grim situation. And so we, one of the ways that we, we do it is we partner with brothers and sisters in Christ on the ground, um, but in a way, in the way of love as well. Because uh, people can talk about love, um, but have a different definition of it. Um, but the way we do it is that we make sure we see. Uh, we're seeing who the people are, the most marginalized people who are invisible to some people. So we, that's why we, when we talk about extreme poverty or when we talk about vulnerable or marginalized, we're talking about those who, who seem a little bit invisible to some people. And so we want to make sure we see them. We want to make sure we hear them um, in terms of hearing from them solutions, hearing from them what the issues are in their community. And in that way, we are able to empower them as they empower themselves to take ownership. Uh, and that's exactly what the project is doing. Mm-hmm. John, do you want to add to that? Yes, well... Uh... Many people at Gaimea would be familiar with the Higgins family. It has a, they have a long connection with Gaimea Baptist Church. And Scott Higgins has been a wonderful part of our, our family uh, for, for many, many years. And uh, Scott played a key role and still continues to support us in developing our theology of development, a theology of advocacy, theology of disaster and response as well as what we see is hugely important around the whole discipleship process, um, whether it be with uh, individuals and churches, um, but also uh, thinking about the Baptist movement and beyond globally, trying to shift the theological thinking uh, that sits quite differently in different places about engaging with poverty. So Baptist World Aid Australia We've seen it hugely important as part of what we do, not only engaging with field work with our partners and having a framework, a theological framework to do that, but really influencing theory, uh, sorry, theology and practice right throughout the whole Baptist movement globally. Uh, And uh, because, you know, changing the hearts and minds of people is so important uh, as followers of Jesus to be prepared to be discipled, maybe to think about things differently to the way they've been culturally brought up, but we believe is the essence of what uh, the Gospels are saying to how we should engage with the most vulnerable of people. So we invest enormously and passionately and seek to uh, really spread this word. We're evangelists for the theology of uh, how to get alongside the most vulnerable people. Mm, absolutely. And it's just such a complex and developing kind of, I guess, scenario um, 
as attested to by this year as well. That's right. That's right. And I think, that, you know, for right now, uh, we see it also as it's just so vitally important. We're developing more materials even as we speak here because we we fully understand and appreciate that, you know, we all feel vulnerable. That's what this this COVID pandemic is one of the most unique things. It's it's actually the biggest humanitarian, social and economic crisis since World War II. And it's not just, you know, when a terrible disaster happens, it's often thousands of kilometres away from our relative comfort. And yet here we all are, we've all been feeling vulnerable and impacted by this pandemic in different ways. How do we care for each other, be empathetic uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ, but also be alert and aware to what Jesus would expect of us even in our own difficulties and struggles right now, mm. for those that are even more vulnerable and are going to be inf- affected far more over time. Uh, you know, what is our calling here? And that's something we feel a very strong duty, to be empathetic and to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ locally, but how do we also get people thinking beyond just our own situation? Mm. Yeah, that's an absolute mind shift, isn't it? Because we've often referred to, and you know, as it has been dis- um, reported on in the news, that the Syrian refugee crisis was the greatest humanitarian crisis of the 21st century. But now we've all been enveloped into this um, mm. COVID-19 pandemic, which not only affects you know our brothers and sisters in Lebanon and Syria, but us and the whole world. So yeah, that's a mm. great observation. Mm. And that's really what is driving our whole uh, pivot as an organisation right now. You mm. know, we, have to, we have to, in many ways, it's accelerating a lot of things we've been thinking about and trying to act on for years as, as being thought leaders and, and trying to mobilise people into action around these issues. It's, it's potentially accelerating it all uh, yeah. in this really strange and, and most uh, stressful of times. Yeah. Can I ask you, John, as the CEO of Baptist World Aid, how does this time feel for you? Obviously, there's a lot of challenges, um, but like you've just talked about, there's a lot of opportunities as well. Um, how, how's it going for you? <laughs> oh, well, we're all working in isolation. So we're all working from home and uh, thankfully the technology has largely been working for us. Even our outbound call and inbound call people are all sitting, mm-hmm. up, sitting in their home uh, connecting with our, our supporters and church leaders and our, our church relationship managers are doing that with the churches all around Australia, which is fantastic. But it isn't easy. Anybody that's working from home right now would know that at first it seems nice to wake up and just go go to your office in your, in your own home. After a while, as you were even re- re- reflecting yourself earlier, Jadine, uh, you, you want to have contact with people. And there's a lot of things that are much better when you can get some people in a room and brainstorming and working on stuff together. So, you know, it has its challenges, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, after sitting in front of a screen talking with people, you know, I need to get out and have a bit of a break. Uh, <laughs> but we've all got that in front of us. Um, the, but I think going away from that, uh, yes, there are strangely huge opportunities here for us to come out the other side and I think being even more effective and impactful and I think our leadership team and our board all has an eye to that those possibilities even in these difficulties. Yeah, absolutely. So we've been supporting this project for five years now and we're uh, partnering for another three years. 
Um, Marbs, can you tell us about, I guess, uh, the transformations that we've seen as a result of this project and I guess what kind of reporting and observations have come out. Um, obviously, you're very thorough in your reporting. Um, mm. Yeah, be just interested to sh- hear and share with the wider um, viewers here what it's looking like. Yeah. Yeah, so as you mentioned, you've been supporting this for the last four years now. And so from there, not only, um, you know, individuals, thousands of individuals have been supported, but hundreds of families are, are able to have a certain level of hope. Um, part of one of the uh, one of the big issues is, um, apart from livelihood, food security, uh, and just, you know, humanitarian care, like through winterization, um, is also the psychosocial support uh, that people need, and, and particularly children who have witnessed uh, war um, have a certain level of trauma. Um, and in some cultures, they don't. Um, uh, a lot of cultures actually don't have a word for trauma. And so, part of the psychosocial support has been. Um, I've seen the impact um, in the reporting in regards to that. Um, we we got to see some of that last year when our team visited. Um, we uh, in in the form of a child being able to dream. You know, being able to learn a new language in a refugee camp, and also dream for the future, and also wanting to lead um, her brother in, in that. And so dreaming, I mean, for us, it sounds like, hey, that's just, that's just the side thing we do, but it's actually a powerful thing. And when, when children are in trauma, they don't have the ability to dream. Um, but once you know that it's being uh, the trauma issues, psychosocial support is available, um, then you start to see the impact that they're able to dream, they're able to think, they're able to see how they can build their capacity, and they're able to share that um, with other people. As, as you remember, that child was sharing with us last year. And so I, I really think that that's a, a massive thing, not only before, but now with the isolation that people are going through um, when, when they have to go through lockdown. Uh, so some of us in our homes are experiencing a little bit of that isolation and the, the effects of that isolation. So you can just imagine, um, magnify that to a community or a refugee community who don't have access to welfare, who don't have access to healthcare, who don't have access to certain um, support systems. Um, but I've been really seeing the impact in that um, over the last few years. Yep, yep, yep. And I think, yeah, exactly what you say, Marbs, is this is a whole group of people, we're talking millions, that are outside the system. I think for most of us, we don't even know what or understand or comprehend what it means to be outside the system. Like no government to help you, no mm-hmm. Medicare card, no <laughs> Uber Eats that you can just call because you don't have money and you possibly don't have a phone. They're just so far beyond the system, and this is why I guess it matters yeah. so much. Yeah, and in fact, um, one of the projects that you're supporting in Tahiti is that those people aren't even registered. So they, they don't, on paper, they don't even exist. They don't like exist. They, they don't even exist. And so part mm-hmm. of what you're doing is helping. It looks like just a piece of paper in terms of identity, another ID, but that means life, you know, when, when that happens. And yeah. so, yeah, you're right. Like, they're not just without outside the system. They even look like they don't exist. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, you know, words that God loves you if you're in that situation can help. But, man, when you're seeing someone practically put that into, I guess, um, action for you to help you change your situation and move to a different scenario of hope, that is powerful. Can you guys tell us some stories of the projects um, and, and the people that have been impacted? Obviously, we've seen it firsthand, um, but is there any of, of those that you'd like to share? Well, why don't I, I do a couple? I think um, one of the things that we saw uh, 
a huge, well, a huge challenge that sits sits over there um, in Lebanon for Syrian refugees is that the Lebanese government does not want people to settle into um, camps like you often think of large refugee groups sitting in big tent cities or something like that. It's less the case in Lebanon. Uh, so Lebanon tolerates these groups, but they don't tolerate them really settling. Uh, and so you see people mixed in, with, in, in within communities, which means it's much harder to engage with them. Their cost of living is crazy. You know, landlords charge lots of money for these people to live in a, you know, in a garage or in a small room or something like this. And this is where the local church has been so important because they've gone and really reached out and put programs in place that try to get the, the local refugees engaged in some ways, having a sense of hope and engagement, seeing those women's sewing groups so that they could get some livelihood. Mm -hmm. uh, men have been learning some trades, um, setting up community centres. We went out to the Beccar Valley and saw a great community centre there where kids could play. Uh, there was uh, a library, there was a, a grocery store, there was a clothing exchange, there was even a laundromat uh, so people could just wash their clothes. Uh, you know, we, we take all this for granted. That's mm -hmm. life-changing right now for these people. And then, of course, with something like Tahiti, where, you know, the Lebanese government, just like in so many other countries, they can't really afford and don't want to provide social infrastructure because, once again, they don't want people settling in there um, for too long, even though they're stuck there. And so, uh, you know, the kids are not getting access to school. As you said, they don't really have clear identity. It's not easy to get access to health services. So Tahiti is really helping just get together in those slum communities in Beirut um, to provide hope to the, the whole family that there is a social infrastructure of support there, but also providing some education uh, and activities for the kids. Because if kids, one of the big problems we see globally uh, in refugee scenarios is the kids lose a lot of their life because they don't get educated. Mm -hmm. They end up being unskilled, not literate, um, not numerate, uh, you know, basic things that we take for granted, but that actually embeds uh, a lifetime of complete poverty and vulnerability. At least with Tahiti, the opportunity is there to gather a lot of these kids and get them some education. And going back to what Marv said about that that young girl and uh, her, her younger brother, she was determined to be a lawyer. Uh, yeah. And she had the confidence that she was going to be a lawyer because uh, she was getting some education. She could see a path forward for herself. It was just so humbling, you know, brought me to tears thinking about just how definite she was she was going to get out and make a difference she really had hope and that was just one story one example of what these programs can do um, and are doing for the locals uh, those local refugees and the local church facilitating that that mm. is so exciting mm. um, you know the hands and feet of Jesus in action uh, what do you think the um, greatest challenges are for the project and the partners on the ground um, moving forward and also what are the greatest opportunities uh yeah sure uh, i i mine is, is quite uh simple I, when i was thinking about it um it, at the moment it's the unrest in lebanon uh there's just uncertainty and that's why it kind of bubbles to the surface and have all these different kind of riots that happen 
um, because there is just this unrest. Uh, not only is there a situation where there's poverty, there's lack of food, um, but also they're not having a little. Uh, they're not. They're not knowing what their future looks like. Um, is there is there going to be hope for us? Um, and so that's that's really one of the greatest challenges we have is um, is the the unrest that's there, but in bringing about hope in that situation. And that's where, um, as we've all seen, uh, the team has seen last last year, that hope was within our partners. It's within the people who, uh, especially the local church, they they had this hope that carried them, in, even though the situation looks grim. They're able to see past that because they know of a promise that God has. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to be careful how I say this, <laughs> but. <laughs> One of, the, one of the things that um, is very clear in all this is that, you know, Muslim people are actually feeling and seeing and starting to understand the love of Jesus. And anybody that understands how the Muslim faith works, Jesus is revered, but they don't understand Jesus as the Son of God. Uh, and they don't understand grace. And and what what I think we've been seeing, what we saw uh, when we were there last year, but we know about these uh, this whole approach is that you're seeing you're seeing Muslims actually, you know, so much of their social infrastructure is broken down, uh, and their culture has been really attacked. So even with, but with respect and with love, uh, we're seeing many of these people coming to see Jesus in a whole new light, and uh, we're seeing churches grow. So even as we do as we facilitate and you support the facilitation of this work for um, through Marath and through the local churches in Lebanon, uh, what you're seeing is a big shift in terms of faith for a lot of people. Uh, for the Christians who uh, already are there, who really a lot of them had deep suspicion and even dislike, even to the point of hatred uh, mm -hmm. for Syrians. Mm -hmm. Uh, actually learning about love. So it's transforming them, but it's also transforming those refugees themselves. That's that's just amazing. So, you know, on the other side, there are huge challenges. This crisis in Syria itself is, mm. has not gone away. In the <laughs> yeah. midst of all the other news that you're hearing of all sorts of things, including the pandemic and other other things around the world, the, the crisis, the amount of human misery that is occurring within mm. Syria right now, uh, the fighting between rebel forces and the Syrian government, uh, and over the last year or so, the Idlib area has just been just been in a terrible, terrible state. Um, and it's just causing more people to be displaced. Uh, so the problem isn't going away. Uh all we can do is actually say, how can we make a difference in this? It is not hopeless. It is hopeful, but this is the human condition that we're dealing with uh, where, you know, uh, for now, things aren't getting better. In time, things will change, but for now, it's a tough situation for all those refugees and um, being able to make a difference is is important. Vital. Mm. Yeah. I think you reminded me, John, of just, how much of a cataclysmic place it is, um, not only for mm. the refugees, but also for the Lebanese people um, who have such historical 
generations and foundations for hatred, um, you know, for what the Syrian nation and armies and people had done to them in the past, yeah. um, that it is uh, a, a t- it was such a volatile situation but so transformative in every area, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's right. I, you know, you have probably, you may well have sh- shared this story with the uh, the church, but uh, one of the senior staff of Marath, Rosette, has this amazing story of she and her children, and I think her husband being lined up against a wall during the Syrian uh, occupation uh, to be shot. And... Um, and what happened was uh, she just prayed, I do not want to see my children die. And uh, at a mortar shell hit that firing squad just as they were about to be shot. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, so there is a person that has great faith in Jesus and great faith in prayer. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, how could somebody like that turn around and show such love to, you know, it's not the refugees who are at fault. It was the regime and people working for the regime, and that's a very important distinction. But the fact that she's been able to turn around and support, and her kids too. Um, I know that uh, uh, two of her children are very committed to on-ground support and fundraising for uh, Syrian Mm. refugees. Yeah, that's, yeah, Sarah, um, Rosette tells her story in the podcast, and we'll have the link available for that in the notes as well online for people to tune into. So yeah. just finally, um, if people are going to be supporting this project and getting on board and partnering with us as we partner with um, Baptist World A, what does it tangibly mean for them and what do you think it means for the beneficiaries on the ground in Lebanon? Uh, I, I want to say one thing honestly to you, Jadine. I know that um, Gaimea Baptist Church has has gone through some thinking about its philosophies about on how it really contributes to mission. What an incredibly generous church and 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 congregation you have. We are so thankful for the partnership we've had over many years. But I think one of the most important things that um, you know the, the that you've done with the leadership of the church is to say, look, we need to commit for longer periods of time to a lot of this work because this is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Everything we do isn't just a year-to-year prospect. It's a journey that uh, we take people on and we need the support that has that journey mindset with us. And I'm very, very, very thankful that Gaimir is doing that because it will enable us to give more certainty um, and therefore more planning ability for ourselves, but also particularly our partner on the ground to really run projects that will get benefit over over a two, three, four-year period as opposed to not knowing whether we would have some funding one, from one year to the next. So mm-hmm. I know that sounds yep. a little bit kind of technical, but that is vitally important to our ability and to the ability of Marath, the local churches and the communities there to really go through that process of change. Never more so than now when uh, there is such an existential threat to people being that pandemic and uh, people's lives and livelihoods being impacted. So, um, you know, we need to even double down in our support now uh, during that period and help then continue that journey of hope and recovery uh, and and dignity uh, for the people that are stuck in that situation in that part of the world. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. 
Marbs, is there anything you want to add to that? Thanks for that, John. That was yeah, incredible. Yeah, no, that was brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to echo what John said as well. Like there, there is the last four years has laid a particular ground. So in the end, what what it's actually doing in terms of supporting what this project is supporting is life, right? Life in its wholeness. Renewal of uh, the renewal work of Jesus is about life, isn't it? And so in the last four years, you've been able to support a particular kind of area and project, and that lays a particular foundation. And now in the next three years, what it's doing then is it's laying another strong foundation on top of that. It could be ideas. It, it continues to be humanitarian work, but it could, it's also responding to the COVID issue and, and, and all these things. So it lays another foundation. And then after that, it lays another foundation and another foundation. And there, there is this strong foundation then of what it does in the grand scheme of things uh, in terms of our response to this issue. And I think this is where our faith-based organizations, our Christian-based organizations, can really be a prophetic voice to the world, um, that there is faithfulness, resilience among the faith-based organizations, but there is also best practice along with it. And it's laying good foundations, and it can be an alternative or at least an option of what good work looks like and what faithful and long-term work looks like. And Christians, Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, aren't just interested in just quick handouts, but they're interested in long-term work as well. Mm. So I think that's... that's that's you're supporting life. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Just one final question before we wrap up. Um, John, you've obviously done a lot of traveling around the world as CEO of Baptist World Aid. You've seen a lot of different projects, um, cultures and, and different things. What can we learn from this global pandemic that we're seeing now as a church and as followers of Jesus? Well, I think as a church, um, you know, and I've been reflecting a lot about the stories in the Bible of just the most amazing challenges and difficulties that people have gone through. Uh, uh, The Bible is full of those stories, and yet then there are stories of people standing up in their faith and pressing forward in their faith. And uh, whether that is how you role model love and grace and care uh, right through your own community of believers but out into your wider community locally and then globally, I think um, the opportunity is so real now to do it because we we are all, everybody in the world is going through a great difficulty right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, In many ways, we are so fortunate in Australia. You know, four weeks ago, did anybody think that, you know, this pandemic would seem to be relatively, I say that cautiously, more under uh, more under control than so many other countries around the world. Mm. I don't think we could have predicted that. You know, thank God. But also, you know, we've got to give thanks, and I'm not being political here, but, you know, government leaders, state and federal, you know, largely cooperating, listening to appropriate advice. We've still got a long journey ahead. You know, the economic impact is going to be huge here. There are people that are struggling with their mental health. All these sorts of things, they're challenges for us. But how can we still look outwards? Look outwards uh, to our local community, but also our global community and say, as followers of Jesus, what can we do? What should we do in those in those times? And I think, you know, I, th- I feel there is an opportunity here, which is, you know, you can easily, easily choose to, you know, wrap yourself in a big blanket and 
hide in the corner and wait for the worst to pass. Uh, and a lot of people are doing that, and I understand that. Or you can actually say, how can we step out and step up here? What would what would Jesus call us to do? And I'm not talking about being silly and ignoring, you know, appropriate medical advice. I mean, as I mean, spiritually, we can be praying, we can be, but we can also be thinking what we can do practically to make a positive difference mm. uh, in this time. And and I believe that if we do that, uh, we will be seen as a as a body in a much different light down the track, uh, at a positive light. Mm. Mm. And Marbs, how what are you going to take away from this global pandemic and, and this season? Yeah, it, we've been fortunate in my church anyway. We're going through the Book of Acts as a series, mm-hmm. and we've been. It's really about the church kind of discovering and rediscovering who it is, um, mm-hmm. in, in finding out who it is, and, and so it's been quite appropriate that during this pandemic, I feel like that's what the local church is doing. It's discovering and rediscovering when things have been taken away that we used to have a lot of reliance on, right? And so in some sense, this global pandemic, um, you know, when you squeeze an orange juice, you get uh, orange, you get orange juice, right? And at the moment, this global pandemic is squeezing people and things are coming out of us, who we are. Either we're hoarding, (laughs) buying all these toilet paper, (laughs) or we're thinking of ways to go, actually, who am I? I actually care about my neighbor. I actually care about... Um, people's well-being. I care about the poorest of the poor who I know will be affected by this the most. We are being squeezed, but out of it should come grace, goodness, compassion, because that is who we are. So that, that's really what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that the churches are discovering and rediscovering who we are. And I'm hoping as we reconstruct um, uh, in the future, we reconstruct accordingly. Well, it's been an absolute privilege and pleasure to be able to speak to you both today. Thank you so much for making the time. And and can I say finally, thank you so much to you, Jadine, and the whole church at Gaimia, uh, you know, right through Mark as the senior pastor, the whole team. We really appreciate your support um, and, uh, you know, we will do whatever we can to help not only keep you up to date with what's going on but uh, keep doing this partnership and communicating with each other as, in, a, in a healthy way. So bless you all. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you, Jadine. And we hope that we see you in person sometime soon. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. And if you would like more information, resources or how to donate and partner with Baptist World Aid, here are the details. Go to guymeabaptist.org.au and click on the May Mission Month image on the home page. Here you'll find more information on the projects, links to our extended video and audio podcasts and how to donate. Donations for May Mission Month are over and above our regular giving and the last day to donate is the 8th of June. If you need further information or assistance with your donation, email missions at guymeabaptist.org.au or call the GBC office. We thank you for partnering with us and loving our local and global neighbours in these challenging times to see lives changed by Jesus. Jesus.